what I only uh, don't quite get, why do you put so much access to this? We have to begin with the personal, with personal change. I mean, this is also the second or which one, I don't remember, forgive me, of your slogans in your book. You know, first set your house in order, then but I have an extremely common sense naive question here. But what if in trying to set your house in order, you discover that your house in, is in disorder precisely because the way the society is messed up, which doesn't mean, okay, let's forget about my house. But you can do both at the same time, and I would even say, I will give you now the ultimate example, yourself. Isn't it that you are so socially active? Because you realize that. It's not enough to tell to your, to your, uh, your patients, set your house in order. Much of the reason of why they are in disorder, their house, is that. There is some crisis in our society and so on and so on. So my uh, reproach to you, benevolent, would have been, you know, the joke tea or coffee, yes please, like individual or social, yes please, because this is obvious in extreme situation, like I hope we agree to say to somebody in, in North Korea, set your house in order, no, ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, but I think in some deeper sense it goes also for our societies, I'm just repeating what you are telling, you see some kind of a social crisis, and I don't see clearly why insist so much on this choice. Because, uh, let's sorry, just to finish, I will give you an example that I, I think perfectly does it. How do we usually deal with ecology? By this false personalization, you know. They tell you, ah, what did you do? Did you put all the Coke cans on the side? Did you recycle all paper and so? Yes, we should do this. But, you know, like, uh, I, in a way, this is also a very easy way to discard yourself. As, like, uh, you say, okay, I do the recycling, so up, you know, I did my duty, let's go on. So I would just say, why the choice there? All right. Uh, I am now joined uh, by uh, Russ Briglia uh, and, uh, and Matt McManus. Uh, as well as uh, Slavoj Žižek, uh, who is, of course, best known for having written the introduction to this book, uh, Myth and Mayhem, a leftist critique of, uh, of Jordan Peterson. Uh, is also written <laughs> it's the number one uh, thing on his Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, but he also uh, debated uh, Jordan Peterson in, uh, in 2019 uh, in Toronto, back when we could all go outside. Uh, and uh, and we just we just watched a little a uh, little preview of that later um, later on we're pre-recording this because uh, the the live stream is not going to be until eight which is two in the morning in Slovenia uh, but um, you know but we just played a little uh, a little preview of, uh, of of that debate and uh, and I think um, you know for first of all thank you for coming on uh, and uh, and I want you know and giving us this chance to kind of look back on that a little bit and some of the issues that you, uh, that you raised there. Uh, and, and one thing that, you know, so in the clip we saw, right, you know, you were really giving your, um, you know, like, like that was, that was one of the places where you were really going after the sort of, you know, Peterson uh, worldview, the, the, the focus on, on getting individual lives together uh, and, uh, and talking about the, uh, the limits of that. Uh, but also, it does really strike me that uh, in the debate, I think something that some people who, who uh, maybe didn't understand quite what you're going for uh, were, were surprised by is is that it was uh, it was relatively uh, friendly uh, for uh, you know for the most part, uh, and uh, and I think that you it, it seemed to me right. You can tell me whether this is right or not. It seemed to me that that part of uh, of what you're doing in the debate. Uh, was sort of showing uh, the, uh, the the confused young guys who who follow Jordan Peterson that there is a version of the left that's that's not sort of bogged down in PC moralism and that uh, that much you know might be much more appealing to them. Yeah, I answer. Okay, <laughs> no, no, you got it. You got it. You are totally right. I didn't want to 
focus on attacking Peterson, who, whom I even, as far as I know it, as a person, considered consider absolutely not simply a bad guy. Let me tell you a secret. Okay, a secret which maybe I told publicly just 10, 20 times. But do you remember, what is it now, already some three, four years even more ago, that debate on Canadian TV? Peterson versus a couple of uh, uh, LGBT politically correct guys. I must say, yeah, together with, uh, I heard even Chomsky and some others, I was there on on Peterson's side. You know what did strike me? Uh, Those guys who were uh, protecting this, uh, each person has to have himself uh, or herself or themselves uh, named, called the way they want and so on. And then uh, the most shocking moment for him was when one of the guys said, but don't you know, even in nature, sexes don't exist. And in this very patronizing way, if you don't know it, I can give you some books. You know, <laughs> I mean... I don't see anything else in that than this most common place that, of course, sexes are always blurred and so on and so on. But I find this an extremely dangerous line of thought because I'm hearing from my liberal, not true left friends, the same argument against class struggle, for example. Class, there is no class struggle. There are just multiple groups, uh, conflicts, and so on and so on. And I think this is a dialectic which is well developed in Marxism. That uh, the paradox is that you have a basic antagonism, but this antagonism necessarily appears empirically as multiplicity. The basic point of Marx is that. Class struggle doesn't mean there are, either now or in some utopian, which will never come a revolutionary moment, there will be pure conflict, just two classes. No, the whole class struggle is the struggle, position war, as Gramsci would have put it, for who will get all those who are in class struggle, not with a clear role in it. Class struggle is necessarily a multiplicity, but it's still a basic antagonism. So, and also that line of attack, treating Peterson as an idiot who didn't read books, where they explain to you everything that there are not only two sexes. The first thing is my colleague uh, uh, Alenka Chopin, she developed uh, nicely uh, in her book What I question is the very, and this is a general tendency, the replacement of the term sex with gender. Gender is a category of identity. It's not neutral, this operation. So again, my, although at the level of actual measures, I totally support uh, LGBT, and I'm saying this absolutely sincerely, but... uh, I think I totally support them, but not because, now comes the central point, not because I think that, and that's the image of some LGBT ideologies, that basically we have some before the fall, happy, neutral sexuality, just multiple forms and so on and so on. And then the bad patriarchy comes imposing binary notions, but we have to get rid of this patriarchal logic, and then this happy multiplicity will re-emerge. No, I think, again, and Peterson is closer to this than some uh, uh, LGBT people. Didn't you notice how, that was also one of my reasons why I appeared there, how, uh, and I cannot get rid, and Russell, you also know this, that many of these uh, LGBT politically correct theorists, I don't confuse them, uh, act as if, although it's so fashionable today to say, oh, Freud is outdated, blah, blah, Victorian era bullshit, but they act as if, <coughs> as if Freud didn't exist, as if the unconscious doesn't exist. For example, the whole theory of agreement, you know, we have to sign agreement before making club and so on and so on. 
the bishop or Jesus is pure liberal one. Forget unconscious, forget your personal mess, basically looking deep onto our, into ourselves. We are free persons who know what we want. All trouble comes from external power relations. But what if the lesson of the Freud is that sex is immanently messed, confused, perverted. You cannot separate sex from power. And if you tell me, but then this means sex is in itself corrupted. My God, yes, it is. And that's the problem with sex. Second thing, uh, you, uh, when you put it very correctly, and you noticed this already before, I was trying to do, sorry for this arrogant <laughs> I was trying to do what, as, uh, as Todd McGovern told me, it happened already decades ago in Vermont with Bernie Sanders. Bernie said once something beautiful. He said that our task is not to play this democratic game of who will get the middle ground votes, you know. Uh, uh, this undecided upper classes or whatever. No, we should aim precisely at Trump voters. We should get them, all those impoverished white class people, there are also them, although I know many of them, they are fake workers, friends. They are, there are billionaires and so on. But many of Trump workers are confused, ordinary people. We have to approach them. There is no victory without getting over Trump uh, Trump voters. And that was my aim there, to, as you, Ben, put it very precisely, the, uh, we should always forget, and this is what many leftists don't, will never forgive me when I pointed out that, yes, Trump is a horror and so on, but Trump is a symptom of the failure of liberal democratic hegemony. In short term, yes, all tactical alliances are necessary to uh, to block Trump and so on and so on. But, and even now, okay, immediately I will stop. I just want to commit full suicide and go even a step further. Are you guys following this ongoing conflict between AOC, Alessandria Ocasio-Cortez, and a more radical left? Oh, yes. I'm on a Facebook thread. That's nothing but insulting her now. Yeah. Sorry, what did you say, Matt? Uh, I'm on a Facebook thread where it's nothing but uh, Marxists who are insulting AOC. Uh, in fact, they even took issue with her reading Infinite Jest yesterday. That became an object of conversation. No, yes. No, I understand both sides, but you know what's my problem? Listen, I wrote a lot against Biden. I even used that phrase that I regret a little bit. Biden is just Trump with a human face. I think it's even the opposite up to a point, that Trump stands for some obscene, vulgar humanity. He's like, so maybe Trump is Biden with a human face in this sense, you know? Because Trump is a guy you can immediately establish this vulgar, everyday, obscene humanity. But what I want to say is that what he is doing now, Biden, okay, Maybe I should be paranoid and claim what Trump claims. I don't know. That he's just old senile and his evil communist, as Trump put it, uh, advisors bring him just uh, uh, measures, papers to sign. But listen, the, the second big trillion, uh, a couple of trillions program for ecology and so on. Then what uh, his treasury person, woman, Janet Yellen proposed. Are we aware that what she proposed is a measure? Probably others did it, but which is also in the list of Piketty, which is that the only way to strengthen working class, blah, 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 is to establish, they will fail, but the idea is correct, is to establish an international taxing system so that in no country the taxes will be lower than 20% and so on and so on. Now, do I think that this is the final solution? No. But in this situation, sorry, I think that with all the critical distance, we know it will fail. We should support these measures. This doesn't mean we capitulate to the establishment because we know something. We know that if 
the Biden administration will try to actualize these measures, there will be problem, banks, financial problem. And so we are not hypocrites. I'm not the evil Marxist who pretends to be a Democrat, but has his dark plans. Uh oh, then we will make coup d'etat and so on. No, we should be totally open. We should say we support those measures. Just we warn you, if you will really try to actualize those measures, you will get into trouble and you will have to go further. Yeah, so, I find crazy in this situation now to go on with this line, no Biden establishment. No, the politics is about uh, making your, uh, accepting that your hands will be dirty. And the position of no contact with Biden, he's the same as Trump, is what I call principled opportunism. You use your principles to occupy this safe position. No, my hands are not dirty. I know in advance things will go wrong. Yes, they will go wrong. But like, uh, can you just, I will just tell you this. This is why I wasn't totally dreaming when I said, okay, I provoked with the term communism. You know what Trump, uh, sorry, what Biden, uh, that uh, COVID will maybe push us a little bit towards communism. But just imagine be before COVID era, could you even imagine measures that is now enacting Biden? You would be proclaimed communist, socialist, whatever, and so on and so on. And that's where I offer my hand to liberals, not equality, we join you, but the message should be, you know what interests me more and more? Did you notice how Trump and also in Europe, uh, Orban in Hungary, it's crucial what Orban said two, three months ago, I quoted him, that uh, liberals don't exist today. Liberals are just communists with a diploma. <laughs> and that's also Trump's view. Remember when Melania, my great compatriot, was asked <laughs> about uh, uh, Biden. Yeah, right. you're, you're now probably only the world's second most prominent Slovenian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, he answered, uh, uh, Biden is a socialist. And they asked Trump, what about Kamala Harris? And he, he said, she's worse, she's a communist. You know, and then the stupid metaphor, she wants to open. You know what I like is the irony. Is, is, was Trump aware of what he was saying? When he said she wants to open the borders to bring all the rapists and murderers from Mexico in, I like this idea. All of a sudden, open borders are a communist principle. <laughs> the Soviet Union, you know. No, but, sorry, what, sorry, I will stop now. But you see this complex situation, one shouldn't lose nerves. Nerves. So this is what really worries me. I think that without uh, strengthening of the left wing, and that's the true struggle here, I like from time to time to hearing his crazy podcast, Steve Bannon, who is aware of this. He said, we should get Biden, sorry, we should get a Bernie Sanders vote, the left votes, you know, and he was even honest here. Uh, 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 Steve Bannon said once, we need to raise taxes to 40, 50% for the rich and so on. The real struggle is here, between more extreme left, more extreme right. And again, my dialogue with uh, uh, my dialogue with uh, with Jordan Peterson was uh, was about this, but then I will shut up. Can I tell you a wonderful dialogue? When we finished the uh, detail, you see, I'm in spite of all human, but I will tell you why. When we finished the dialogue, I was presented to his daughter, Mikaela mm -hmm. Peterson. And I read in the media that she gave to her, her father the idea, eat only beef and so on. And, uh, uh, and uh, I addressed her, oh, you are the beef girl. No, <laughs> she not only liked me, but uh, she emailed me a uh, time ago because I consider this fair when Jordan was really in a desperate situation in Russia and all the bullshit in Serbia, no? I just asked, I don't know which was my contact with Jordan, like, 
are you doing well and so on no and she answered me and you know how she signed herself beef girl <laughs> you know what this reminds me of don't now misunderstand me it's not we are all friends blah 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 but this is so horrible about trump and so on that the political debate is getting so brutal i think we need civilization which was active in poland before kaczynski now the moment you get these guys kaczynski orban it's brutality but it fascinates me so much you know the big dissident figure in poland uh, uh, adam michnik he was the big figure now he runs the mail he told me because i heard the rumor he told me that general jaruzelski and him became good friends in the negotiations like two big opponents this is not this is less and less possible today with this uh, uh, vulgarity and brutality that yeah. uh, <laughs> sorry i saw now i just wanted to pick up on a couple of different uh, threads of that uh, you know, I, I think the uh, I think the AOC thing is important. I mean, I've got my criticisms of AOC on free speech. So, what is your position here, please? It's important. Oh yeah. So, like I said, I mean, I do definitely have my criticisms of AOC on free speech and other issues, but I think I think her presence in Congress not her literary taste though is is a trem- yes. I I I actually love Infinite Jess. That makes me like her better. But uh, the uh, uh, but. Um, uh, but I think that her her presence in Congress is a tremendous net positive uh, for, uh, for for the left, and and I think that like when people say, oh, you know, like I don't think that her strategy as far as like approaching the Biden administration is like above reproach, but I do think that uh, that there's a sort of way of standing on the sidelines <coughs> that kind of misses the uh, the point. I mean, like you said, all real politics is messy. Uh, you can imagine some of these people in like Russia in 1918 saying like, well, you know, Trotsky seemed good, but then he sold out and he hired all these czarist generals to run the Red Army, uh, you know, like, so So I, I guess he's really not on our side after all. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I, I think that the main thing, right, as my friend Adam Proctor puts it, is that when you have, like, you see these people, like, sure, Bernie lost, the left lost. So this is what losing looks like, that, you know, that, that, that when the other side, you know, that like Biden won. So, of course, anybody who's in Congress is trying to push anything, you know, who's, who's not is, is going to say some nice things about Biden. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I think that's that's the deal. I think you need to mm-hmm. change the political calculation mm-hmm. uh, to, to change that. But I also wanted to address your point about, uh, you know, about the uh, the right, you know, about uh, about Bannon, because because uh, I think. Uh, and this actually does kind of bring us back to uh, to your your debate with Jordan Peterson because because uh, uh, you know I think about two uh, debates that I watched with Steve Bannon. One of them was the uh, the Monk debate that Bannon did in uh, in Toronto with David Froome, uh, which was like supposed to be like the really you know classy high level thing, which was mm-hmm. completely pointless. All it was was uh, David Froome throwing rhetoric at Bannon for for an hour and accusing him of being a fascist. And uh, and Bannon throwing rhetoric at uh, uh, at uh, at Frome about working class deplorables, and they never actually argued about policy, presumably because they're both Republicans. They basically agree about policy. We Whereas about that, when, when, when Bannon went on uh, the Red Scare podcast, which a lot of people were uh, were very mad at them for for having him on, that they're they're platforming mm-hmm. this terrible person, uh, Steve Bannon. Uh, I really liked uh, Michael Brooks' comment about that at the time, which was that uh, it was it was great because even though it was superficially a very friendly interview, uh, the Red Scare girls pushed uh, Bannon on a really on, on the on a question that like really cuts through everything, which is you say that you're a populist, uh, how about Medicare for all? Why don't you support that? Uh, and and that's mm. even though their demeanor was friendly and flirty and all this stuff, I think that that's. I think that is a much more useful thing for for people to see. Whereas what, like, I think the reason that a lot of people have a bad reaction to it, the reason a lot of people had a bad reaction to uh, to to your debate with Peterson, is that what they really want to see is somebody like rhetorically scr- crushing the skulls of their enemies. Uh, yeah, with, yeah. You know, with the Viking with, horned helmets. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, people don't get it in what really dangerous situation we are today. And we have to make, but you, Matt, I think we interrupted you a couple of times. Do you have in your city self something to bring out to express? 
Oh, no, I just wanted to say we had a joke because I was here in Toronto when the from, um, <clears throat> sorry, from Bantam debate was going on. And the tagline was, which is worse, war crimes or hate crimes, right? These are the two options you have available to you. But I actually had a question for you, um, Please. which is, I think that there's a real need uh, for an authentic left wing politics right now. But one of the things that I've always found extremely difficult about mobilizing that is how effectively people like Steve Bannon can appropriate left wing tropes and rhetoric. Uh, and use them to agitate for really reactionary and very conservative yeah. policies. Yeah. And conservatives have a long history of doing this. Like, my God, Margaret Thatcher said she wanted to class the society in the 1980s because, uh, you know, she was going to do away with the aristocrats in the UK and everyone was going to compete on a loving play field for the scraps, you know, that were left over by neoliberalism. And yeah, Bannon yeah. has done something very similar. Uh, and I think Wendy Brown talked about this really effectively in her latest book on neoliberalism where she says people like Jordan Peterson are always heckling the left for its resentment-driven politics, right? The poor resent the rich, which is why mm. they're doing. Uh, but how else could you characterize Trumpism but a kind of resentment of the powerful towards the weak? You know, uh, how dare you people demand that we provide something like Medicare for all when that's not what we want? Uh, but it's a really powerful way to mobilize people that we at the left used to be pretty good at by agitating for justice rather than resentment. Uh, but we seem to have lost that ability somewhat recently. Yes, I see your problem. I deeply agree with you. But here the problem is what to do. Again, uh, Russ, you may remember when I quoted you, I also proposed this line. Like, this is where disagreements enter with me and some part of Lerel who think uh, uh, we should recapture that uh, aggressiveness, mobilize people. But how, really... Uh, it's a story that I often use, but I like it. You remember crowds entering Capitol. Uh, capi uh, you, uh, Rush, brought about it, all this uh, aspect of carnival, of stealth, of enjoyment. But is it, isn't it also that the radical left perceived it as if the crowds breaking into capital, their enjoyment was stolen from them by the right. Because, you know, some of my friends who watched it, of course, told me, it's wonderful what happened, but we should have done it. The wrong people did it, you know. I don't like this line of thought. I think what I, again, as I said, I think even with the debate with uh, Peterson, uh, that was my maybe meanest manipulation there. I told him, you remember that. I told him, I totally agree with you with your criticism of this historicist, postmodern relativism. But look, are you aiming at the right target? If there ever was a postmodern historicist relativist president, it's Donald Trump, my God. I agree. If there ever was an authentic, not in a reactionary, reactionary sense, but how should I call it, an authentic moral majority guy with simple, decent values. Values. It's Bernie Sanders, you know. And yeah. we should yeah. shamelessly yeah. emphasize and accept it. We should uh, uh, renounce here. I also follow another problematic person. I still like her, Angela Nagle, who pointed out, you, you, you know, who pointed out all these things that uh, uh, the tragedy today is that the new right appropriated all that I remember as a young guy with the leftists were doing, like all these gestures to those in power, dirty works, as if by behaving indecently with dirty works and so on, you are doing something subversive. No, sorry guys, the right took that over and the tragedy of the left is that they retreated into, at all levels, into not only political correct uh, rigidity, but even law and order. I don't know how it is in the United States, but now in Germany, in Europe, left, the left wants, why doesn't uh, police intervene, law and order, and so on and so on. It's a very tragic uh, situation. Yeah, so the Sex Pistols released an album now, Be God Save the Queen, right? <laughs> No, that's, that's, uh, the, that, uh, you know, like, there I have some problems. I also, uh, now, but I will tell you something which, okay, I like to make public suicide. Let me make a step further here. You know, who is the, the husband? I always confuse this. Who is Charlie? Who is Harry? Is it Harry or who? The husband of Meghan Markle, the prince who? Harry. 
Harry. Yeah. He said something so stupid. He said, I don't want to be perceived by people as Prince Harry. I want to be seen by them as an ordinary guy. I'm just Harry. Fuck you. But if you are just Harry, nobody would even know about you, listen about you, and so on, you know? There is such, so if I were to choose between uh, Harry and some non-compromised, I would say just get me rid of Harry, you know? That's totally fake. This is uh, like... You know, totally wrong perception of how public image authority works. People are interested in uh, his private affairs just before, just because he is a prince. Nobody would have cared about about him without that. So uh, I don't believe yeah, that. Well, the, the royal family issue is uh, is interesting because after. Um, uh, you know, because because after Meghan Markle, you know, made the the accusations that that she made, you know, to uh, to Oprah, the um, uh, the royal family in the UK actually appointed a uh, what they called a uh, diversity czar. Which, by the way, first of all, it's just hilarious that the English yeah. royal family is appointing a czar. But uh, the other thing is that Robin D'Angelo. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the other thing, right? Because it's it's like the ultimate reductio ad absurdum of this kind of uh, of this kind of politics. Uh, because oh. You're saying that this hereditary royal family isn't diverse enough, you know? That well, well, surely, uh, you know, we can we can fix this, and you know, we can have like a properly diverse royal family uh, that can that, that can rule over us. I mean, it's 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 just a parody of this kind of like um, this this kind of woke representational politics that's the, that's that's about um, you know that's that's about making sure that people at the top of the society. Are internally diverse enough uh, that uh, that, mm. or at least making sure that decision makers are sensitive enough that everybody's gone to enough of those Robin D'Angelo uh, HR trainings, uh, but that don't actually impact uh, the distribution of wealth and power in any way. And I do just want to briefly uh, say because you uh, uh, in in that introduction I mentioned earlier to uh, to the Peterson book, uh, mm. you mentioned this. You say, and I quote: "If I were to indulge in paranoiac speculations." I would be much more inclined to say that the politically correct obsessive regulations um, uh, are uh, rather a left liberal plot to destroy an authentic radical left movement. Uh, suffice it to recall the animosity against Bernie Sanders, uh, some LBGTQ uh, uh, plus in feminist circles uh, who had no problems with big corporate bosses uh, so, uh, supporting them. And, and, and this, you know, gets us back to, uh, to the debate with, um, with, with Peterson uh, because, I think that maybe part of what you were trying to do there is to say uh, that there are lots of reasons why somebody would pay attention to uh, to Jordan Peterson. Part of it is because of his work as a self help guru uh, and, and mm -hmm. psychologist, uh, and you know some people come for the self help and stay for the politics. Uh, and uh, and but also part of it is that when he's speaking to these culture war preoccupations, a lot of people are very very annoyed. At the people that he's he's railing against, and he gives you a certain story about how to think about those people, right? Mm -hmm. that, if, that if you that if you find the sort of excesses and stupidities of a certain version of the left irritating, basically join Jordan Peterson and be a cultural conservative who maybe has some genuinely bad views about mm -hmm. trans rights and things like that, but also basically wants to tell you to just you know. Uh, clean your room and, you know, and not worry about trying to change the system. Whereas I think, I mean, tell me if this is right, what you're trying to get at there is no, you can be equally annoyed by the stupidities and excesses of a certain version of the left and without becoming a cultural conservative, you can just become, you know, you can mm -hmm. just be like a sort of culturally relaxed radical leftist uh, who, uh, who is, uh, who's going to be an alternative to both of those things. No, I totally agree with you here. Uh, and it's not just you can be a leftist. I would go even a step further and you will say, I, I would say that the only way to be a true radical leftist is to be in the sense that you implied now uh, culturally tolerant or however you call this and so on, you know, because the first thing about culture, this what is this is what gets lost with these political rules and so on and so on. Listen, Adorno, the big guy, Frankfurt School, said once after World War II when Hayes Code was still 
training in Hollywood. He says that a truly great work of art would have respected all the Hays Code rules, but not because of oppression, but like because of imminent necessity and so on. And uh, I will apply this in the opposite sense. And I can tell you about this. It's my old example. Like racism is not a matter can cannot be measured by precise statements. You end up with the same obscenity. It's horrible. When in Europe, I don't know if you have the same problem in the United States, in Germany, they want to keep the uh, Holocaust studies open, but at the same time, they want to put some limits on it. Like, I agree with it. You cannot be a Holocaust denier and so on and so on. <laughs> so did you know that what the result was? That they tried to quantify it, and the image which appeared was five millions. Like, if you claim... Nazis killed 4 million and 900,000 Jews, it's okay. Uh, no, sorry, you are already uh, uh, off. You are anti-Semite. If you say it was just a little bit over 5 million, <laughs> you know, that's what you get into. But I claim that, again, here we, as Lacan would have put it, you know, racism is a matter of style, implication. You can make jokes which are apparently racist, but they can work as a means of solidarity. You can respect all PC rules, but the way you respect them can be extremely patronizing and racist. As an old Hegelian, I say, you know what we need? Then I will have to drop you, I'm collapsing. I often use it now recently. You know that old Joe Russell, you must keep the list, how often I used it. Sam Goldwyn, you know, when he got the message uh, from uh, the press that uh, you are using too many old cliches in your movies and his message to his scenario department, we urgently need new cliches, you know. That's what we need today. Not just new rules, how to control our lives, but to invent new, what Hegel called with this wonderful world, Zitten, uh, customs, spontaneous mores, and so on, and so on. Would you kill me if I now do in a polite, non-racist way this to you, because I'm dropping. But one remark before I finish, you can cut Bendis, how it's nice here how people can immediately see our intellectual levels here. Russell is the big intellectual, look, full book of shells behind. <laughs> the two of you, Matt and Ben, are so-so, while I'm with half-empty shells. <laughs> people, you know, uh, whatever we say in the very materiality of our debate, people get the message. Well, first of all, first of all, that before you leave, that's not true, because everything I've stolen everything from Slavoj, so that's that's one thing. No, but the second, before you leave, Slavik. I know, this is what reactionaries say. You know why? You are preparing your defense. When democratic fascist forces will take over and you will be accused, you will say, no, no, it wasn't me. I just stole it from Slavoj and exactly, so on. Exactly. You are preparing your defense. All right, right. Um, two, two things quickly before you leave. One, yeah. I want to go back to this thing about the question of, of platforming, because which was the response that, that, was, that a lot of people had when the debate with Peterson was announced. I mean, I, so I know you and I went to, I mean, we went to the debate together, but we, you know, we were talking before it and the amount of people who I'm sure you heard from that I heard from that you shouldn't do this. And it was giving, mm. it was giving Peterson a platform. And it was like, you know, just from a numbers standpoint, if you see, <laughs> you know, how many, I mean, within the Academy, you know, Slavoj is very well known and, and the books sell well, but, but Peterson at the time was this sort of cultural phenomenon. It was, ma you know, making all this money. On, so well, the idea, even, even just to, even just to interject right now, I think yeah. if you look at Amazon's list of the hundred most sold books in the last week, mm -hmm. uh, I believe 12 rules for life is still there. I've got bad news. The sublime object of ideology is not going to be one of the most hundred most uh, sold books on, uh, on Amazon. Yeah, of course. <laughs> last week. Yeah, yeah, but nonetheless, on the other hand, it exposed me to many people outside our narrow circle. You know, when you right. say, Russ, I'm well known, but as you, Ben, were right to point out now, my 
Popularity is not only very much under threat now, attacked from all sides, but also it's a very limited popularity. And I think it was important to reach to a wider circle of people. Well, well, this, in in, in yeah. this sense, we both used each other, me and Jordan. Well, you know? well, this was the second thing that I wanted to say was that in the in the couple of moments in the debate when you know when you went after him, um, you know actually. It wasn't on because everything like the interview that you were talking about that 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 he did were all these um, you know there was a whole panel of people you know LGBTQ going is that mm. you didn't go after him on on solely the cultural grounds which I think is a lot what most like left mm. liberals were mm. doing and you know actually put pressure on something that he says like you know cultural uh, postmodern neo Marxism and when you asked him you know who are these Mar who are these these I know he came Marxists. with Foucault and Derrida. Foucault yeah. and Derrida. And you know, you said, you know, I can give you some, like David Harvey, Fred Jameson, some actual Marxists. But the idea that I think the problem is that actually like the people on on uh, you know liberals who were who thought that you know uh, Peterson is attacking them with this actually think that they're that they're cultural Marxists, which is a complete ridiculous. You know, there there aren't many actual Marxists in the academy. Um, no, as the no, point that you were making. There, there, there no, are very few. You uh, know, when I had my formative experience, sorry, in this sense, I remember over twenty, almost thirty years ago, when me and John Kobjek were part of the October. Then we had a split. We stepped out. I asked the obvious, some of the people, I think it was even Rosalind Krauss, I don't know who, no, it wasn't her, another member of the inner circle. I asked them a simple question. The answer was obvious, but I wanted to see, to hear the answer was, listen, to what does the title October really refer to? And I got this, you know, it's that one. It's the October, it's that October revolution. But my God, it's totally meaningless. They're not in any sense Marxist and so on. It's just flirting with radicality and so on. But I don't see any sense in which they could be proclaimed uh, Marxist and so on and so on. And you were right. I'm totally confused. Was it you, Ben, or you, Russell? You are all the same shit for me. I don't <laughs> <laughs> what I want to say is that uh, you are right. No, it was you, Russell. That uh, people, uh, we have a paradox of people not who pretend not to be Marxist, but secretly sell their subversive messages, but people who think that they are Marxists, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's an incredible phenomenon, I mean, you know. Yeah. I also will say, just on the Peterson debate, I think like a very useful, uh, you know, I like what I, I think we, you were doing there as we talked about. I also think that Peterson um, was being very helpful in uh, in scoring all these own goals by uh, by by not being able to name any postmodern Marxists and and in um, and and by uh, saying like that he'd even though he's gone around for years um, you know publicly denouncing Marxism all the time that the uh, that the um, he just like reread or uh, the Communist Manifesto for the first time in in decades. Uh, that's, you know, like, I think the combination of that and a very friendly approach from you is, is about the best outcome, uh, we could have, uh, could have hoped for, uh, for that debate, but I know you have to go. So, uh, I, I just want to, um, uh, quickly, um, say, uh, if you, uh, the, there was a, um, a question, uh, uh, Forrest, do we, uh, do we have any, uh, yeah, questions? I, I see you. So there's, there's, uh, Two quick ones. I got one from a Facebook message, and I got one from uh, the chat. So the first, the first question is, um, like, what should people do to stay motivated? Oh my God! You know, this is the base. Uh, okay, I cannot give a very brief answer. Like half a minute, I will try. This is the big problem today with COVID crisis and so on. I don't know how it's with you guys, but in Europe, it's kind of a generalized depression. We don't, you know, a year ago, the first wave of COVID was almost retroactively to us today. I experienced, uh, uh, there was something liberating. It was clear, COVID risk, we have to obey the rules, you transgress the rules, but it was a clear situation. Now, in Europe, 
it's a kind of a depression. There is no clear, as Fred Jameson also put it, cognitive mapping, uh, no clear perspective, and uh, people don't know what to expect. So uh, even this motivation of let's survive, and here I think Agamben is wrong, you know. It's not true that we are even survivalists now. It's a kind of a general depression and so on. And here I would go even a step further. Maybe something good will come out of it because the very logic of capitalist desire, capitalist motivation is threatened, is threatened now. Like my colleague Alenka Zupancic and Mladendolar, both other members of our Ljubljana Troika, pointed out, I think, how, uh, 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 how you know, we usually designate uh, uh, capitalism as hysterical. You buy a commodity, but you again and again discover that's not it. You buy another thing. But no, today it's not, consumerism is not hysterical. It's like a perverted position. You know in advance that you will be disappointed. Nobody really expects if I buy that book, that product, those shoes, it will be the thing in itself. And then, oh, you are disappointed. It's not that. No, you know it in advance. But even that ga game is now falling apart. So to answer your question, not directly, but in a more confused way, like, yes, there is a crisis of motivation, but something good may come out of it because we will not only have to reinvent how to achieve what we want. We will have to reinvent at its most basic hour, to use the Kantian term, Begehrenskraft, uh, 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 Kant doesn't use it, uh, uh, ability to desire. So, yes, yeah, 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 but it's part of the game. That's crazy. That uh, you know in advance you will be disappointed, but nonetheless you play the game. But first you had another one. You said question. Oh, um, yeah, I had a I had a, a second question that somebody asked. Um, they said, given the re recent surge in authoritarianism across the globe in the past decade or so, um, wealth inequality and like the ubiquity of neoliberal economic policies. Do you have any hope that organized civilized society as we know it will continue for more than a century or so? Oh, I'm, my position is mixed here, you know. I don't buy this usual leftist paranoia uh, uh, that the COVID crisis is exaggerated, blown out of proportion, used by the big corporation to establish total control and so on. Look at the United States. Let's make it clear. Nonetheless, Trump lost probably only because of COVID. Without COVID, he would probably have been triumphantly re-elected. And look also around in India with this terrible situation there in now. Maybe there is a chance that, uh, that Narendra Modi will begin to lose his power and so on and so on. So again, I think that... Uh, it works both ways. It's an open situation. That's why I always fanatically repeat. My enemies are those who think now we have to stand back. It's a purely medical healthcare situation. No, it's not. We never in our lives did we live in such a politicized moment as we do live in it now. And why am I still an uh, optimist? Precisely because I'm a catastrophist. You know, people saying, but now maybe the new corporate order and vaccination, blah, blah, blah. Yes, but first, numbers are not falling as we hoped. Second point, there are other crises to come, believe me. You know, there will be ecological crisis, global warming, and so on and so on. So uh, that's my paradox. I'm an optimist because I'm a pessimist. I see dark perspectives. The emergency state will go on. And because of this, I believe that at some point a miracle will happen. A local miracle first. You know how many miracles we did see in the last decade? Yes, they were marginal miracles, but they did work. Who would have expected something like Syriza in Greece? Who would have expected something like, with all its limitations as... Uh, Occupy Wall Street, and so on and so on. 
there is a discontent growing. What worries me, I've written about this, is that there is, but this is also maybe a hope for something new, but very dangerous moment that, look, I always take as example yellow vests in France. There is an incredible level of discontent, but obviously it cannot be adequately transferred into, represented in our established political system. So we have a gap between political representation and discontent. A discontent, explosive discontent is forming and the big question of the future will be, will it be the right-wing populists who will be most successful in politicizing this discontent or will the left also find a way? But I don't have a clear answers here. Uh, I I am I am open, you know. I'm a late Hegelian who thinks uh, what we do always leads to unpredictable consequences. Nobody is, in this naive sense, the subject of history, as classical Marxists tended to be. You know, you look at history, you see what is objectively necessary: proletarian revolution. You do it, and so on. No, we live in an unpredictable world. This is our limitation. But this is also our hope, I mean. Well, uh, I don't think there, was one other, uh, there was one other thing we were going to do before you left, but you've been extraordinarily generous with your time. And that's, um, and I think that last is probably this, as good a note to end on as we're going to get. So uh, thank you so much, Slavoj. Okay. Uh, we'll, I will now click leave studio. We will, ah, I like you, Forrest, because you have no books behind you. No? <laughs> so you I are have, the true barbarian. I have I'm the, not the lowest. Yeah, I have, I have the woods behind me. I'm, I'm out here in the <laughs> Now here in the mountains. <laughs> Are you really, or is this bluffing just a poster? Or no, 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 he's got a picture of some some mountains behind him and some woods. I mean, there's, that, there, that's there is... what I like. Even with flowers, I like plastic flowers. You wash them once a year, it's okay, you know. And I'm stupid to water them all the time. I hate living beings. No idea for me to have a dog or a cat. They move around, they feed, and so on. That's not for me. There nice is, there to meet is you. Like Bye bye. A... There is yes. like a mountain. There is a mountain in the middle of, of my town, but yeah. Ah, you know what would be a nice Lacanian paradox? <laughs> that that image behind you of a mountain, okay, this is, let's say, on a wall or where, but then if you break the wall or the door, you see exactly the same mountain behind you. <laughs> That's what I would like to have. See you guys again, I hope. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.